You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Sarah Kirkham. Sarah is a craftsperson and a business owner who co-runs the beautiful company Tactile Craftworks. They make gorgeous leather products like journals and flasks. If you have a moment right now, just Google their website. It's tactilecraftworks.com. So you can have a visual in your head of the kinds of work we're talking about in this conversation. It's really great. She comes from a theater design tech background. We overlapped for a few years at the University of Evansville for undergrad, and she's now based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was so thrilled that we reconnected a few months ago at a friend's wedding and that she was up for being on the podcast because I'm just so inspired by what she's building with her business um, and her art. So it's almost spring. We're all going to make it. (laughs) Hang in there. I hope you enjoy the 69th episode of The Compass. Um, the, the dark side for me personally most often is to second guess how far I've come. Um, that even if I have found that I'm qualified at something or do have a valid point of view, um, that I second guess it depending on the people I'm around or depending on, for me especially, one of my jobs with the business is to um, be in charge of our social media. Mm. And... There's, you know, there's some really great sides to it. We've met some really wonderful people that way, um, and there's a lot of inspiration that can come from it. But it is hard to constantly be comparing your worst sides to other people's best sides, hmm. um, and and so that's, um, I would say, the biggest uh, the biggest issues that I have in the dark side, um, and the ways that I the ways that I keep from going there. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, honestly, is my network of other um, female artists that I work directly with, um, specifically my business partner, Anna, and also a studio mate of ours, um, Jess Gaynor, who uh, owns a company called Directive. Um, they are the kind of people that you can really kind of tell anything you need to, to and also are outrageously supportive in every way. Um, so just that that basic community is incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, also, uh, a huge thing for me, um, which I talk about constantly, and anybody that knows me knows it, is um, the the national parks actually are a really big thing for me. I find that if I if I don't um, kind of get outside regularly, I can tell. Um, and the the times that I really get into my darkest times, um, you know, before we moved into the studio, we worked out of a spare bedroom in my house, and I would find that by accident, because I am um, a somewhat introvert, introverted personality, mm-hmm. I would find that I would by accident like not leave the house for a week um, because I was working hard and you know everything I needed was there. Right. And, and I remember this one time, just, just think it got really dark, um, and I couldn't figure out why. And so uh, I took our car and I just drove out to the middle of nowhere and I went out for a four-hour hike with my dog and. And everything was fine after that. Like it was, <laughs> it was amazing how quickly it shifted. Yeah. The perspective just to 
remember that you're small and that nothing is, is, you know, that vast that you can't conquer it in the end. Yeah. No, that's, that's so important. Yeah. I have actually not spent a lot of time in our national parks which makes me really sad. Like, you know, I, I, gr- <laughs> right, sure, I grew up in the woods. Park, I've been to just outside. <laughs> lots of parks, but, um, I'm fascinated by that. Like, have you visited all of them? Like what is, no, what is no, your relationship no, no. There's with 59 of them with them in um, particular? Yeah, sure. So there's 59 of them. Um, uh, I've been to 12, okay. most of them with my husband, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so it's, a, it's, I, I start, it started becoming kind of a goal to see all of them about five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've, yeah, and we've been to 12 in, in that five years. So it's a, it's a lifelong goal that we will work at for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is a fascinating system that's set up all over our country. That's a great goal. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the, the thing I love about it so much is that it's not like, obviously the outdoor part of it is ridiculous you know what I mean it's it's incredible and it's beautiful and there's a ton to do and to see um and it's a a great way to be reminded that like our I mean this is going to sound so um silly but like the the fact that our country is more than just cities and politics but that it's one of the most beautiful landscapes around you know um but there's also this really cool um history side to it that uh one of uh, my favorite parts about it is the lodge system that's actually been built up that was all often built during the WPA st- like era. And so there's this really kind of cool history Americana side of it that is just fascinating. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. But <laughs> um, before we talk about your business, yes. I was wondering, um, since you went to Evansville for design mm-hmm. and theatrical design, um, do you still do work in that area or how, what was kind of your transition after school from focusing on theater to what you do now? Absolutely. So, um, I kind of realized, uh, about maybe, um, midway through my junior year at Evansville that in fact, um, maybe I wasn't a designer. I was more, much more a craftsperson. Mm. Um, so I did still do some designs at Evansville after that, but it was not at all the focus anymore. I much more was focused on running the dye shop in the costume shop and, um, doing more prop work and things like that. Right after college, I went and worked, um, a year at the Actors Theater of Louisville in their prop shop. And then right after that, I got a job at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater in their prop shop, which is, was remarkable at the time. It was, um, I was really lucky that they had a job opening when they did. Uh, they hadn't hired anybody in, I think, seven years. It's a really hard shop to get into. It's a really well-respected shop around the country. Hmm. Um, and so I was really lucky that the timing worked out and um, that I got along well with the people in the shop. And I really thought that that was, well, I, should, I didn't think it was the dream job at the time. It was the dream job at the time. And it stayed that way for a few years. And it was, you know, it really um, was amazing for a while. But it's a weird thing I found um, to hit the dream job so early, which maybe sounds really like, I don't know, (laughs) conceited. I don't know. That sounds weird. But but um, you realize that you have to go somewhere from there. Yeah. Um, So and then it just started not becoming as good of a fit for me. so in the summers, I was laid off every summer um, from the rep because that's, you know, it's a seasonal thing. And so I would I would make these leather journals and sell them um, at, at craft fairs and farmer's markets and things like that just for income during the summer. Um, totally is kind of a side hobby thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the really kind of part about the whole thing that was totally kismet is that my business partner, Anna, was actually hired at the rep the same day that I was. We started on the same day and our desks were right next to each other. So she, for six she was years, in the prop shop there. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So she also has a theatrical props background. Oh, cool. Um, and in the summer she would go to Santa Fe to work for the Santa Fe opera. But, um, but you know, 10 months out of the year, we would sit side by side 40 hours a week, at least working on projects and just talking. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we would play around with ideas and this and that, and we started kind of collaborating on some projects and um, making a few things together that some were successful and some were definitely not. And then kind of out of nowhere, uh, the the rep was 
associated with an innovation museum um, in Milwaukee that is called Discovery World, and they wanted our they wanted their employees to meet. So they set up this this evening um, for us to kind of all meet each other, and it took place at the museum. And they have all of these tools available, like laser cutters and CNC routers and three um, D printers and things like that. And totally offhandedly, one of their employees was like, "Yeah, I just tried laser etching leather the other day," and Anna and I like lost our minds because it was this whole idea that she and I had talked about of like we had this kind of cool idea in the start of a concept but there was no way to scale it up and there was no way to you know make anything that could be produced um regularly in that sense Uh and so within uh within a month we were actually prototyping our first map journal which is now you know what we're known for um at, at the museum, and it totally grew from there. So it was one of the things that actually happened kind of slowly. Where um, so then we kind of did it on the side for a while, where we worked we worked at the theater full time, and then worked kind of on our business part time, and then right. for a year we were kind of working on both of them full time, <laughs> and then um, and then after working uh, at the theater for six years, we both quit on the same day, and then, and then. Uh, and then for a year, we both got part-time jobs elsewhere. So then it was the business was the full-time. Right. The other jobs were part-time. And that was also still working in theater for both of us. Um, and, uh, and then, and then about, almost two years ago, um, we, we both moved to the, the business full-time. Um, so that was an incredibly long answer to your question, which is, it was um, very no, pertinent. I don't do any theater work <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, I realized, you know... I have such mixed feelings about the props world now, which is I, I still love it so much. And I think there's so much cool stuff that is happening with it. And I will still get unreasonably excited when I see a certain piece of furniture in, you know, during a show or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kind of work that I was doing, you know, it's, I think we all have to get into theater at some point for, the effect that it can have on the world around us. And it turned out that my particular job, because it was so specialized and so, um, it was so well-funded, oddly, that um, that everything I was making was, I, I liked to finally refer to it as the cherry on top of the cherry on top of the show. You know what I mean? Like, like the excellent props were, did add to the production as they do in any show. Um, and they create that world, which is really wonderful. And, but it really started to feel like I was doing the projects purely as a selfish act because it was fun. Hmm. Uh, and it wasn't actually having any effect on any, on anyone or anything around me. Um, and that became tiresome so that it was time for me to move on. And it, I really love that I get to go see theater now and enjoy it and that I do still enjoy it so much, but I actually don't miss working on it. Not in that not in that sense. I recently saw a couple of um, like really big spectacle puppetry shows in Chicago. There was that International Puppetry Festival, and that made me. That's the first time in like three years I was like, oh, yeah, oh, that's why I got into it. At the first that time. is really well. That's interesting oh, that too, and I, I know Brandon does a lot of things with puppets, but yeah, because that is a prop, but it's actually being used as the fundamental tool for storytelling. Yeah. So exactly. it is a lot more vital exactly. in that way. Yes, exactly. A much more active participant yeah, active. in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. So now the things you make are things that people use in their daily lives and things that mm-hmm. hold sentiment, like the, the maps especially. Like I, Frankie and I have yeah. a lot of maps all over our apartment. I find, I find it really, awesome. um, I really connect to them as like a symbol of where I've been or where I'm from. Yeah, and I'm sh- exactly. I'm sure that's a lot of where... That comes from for you guys too. What what was the yeah. original? What was the original connection with the maps for you guys? Sure. So um, it came out of a few different things. Um, one of them is that uh, my grandfather worked for Rand McNally for forty years um, as a vice president of regional sales, and so um, maps were always around when I was growing up, and they were something I also felt like, like you said, like totally felt a connection to. Um, and he and I were were really close, and. Um, when he uh, passed away a few years ago, I was able to take a bunch of his um, atlases and his map collections, which a lot of them are like, I think whenever I tell this story, people think of them as being like these incredibly precious, beautiful things, which they are, but a lot of them are like, you know, 
like books from the seventies. You know what I mean? There, there are things that he worked on or, right. you know, national geographics maps that he collected from when he got the magazine or things like that. And so I've always, I've always have felt a connection to them, but the other, the other, um, main part of, of how it kind of developed is that when Anna and I were talking about what kind of products we would want to work on, uh, it was at a time in our lives that we were having a lot of discussions about um, kind of that that interplay of when you're old enough to start setting down roots and you're thinking about buying a house and you're thinking about maybe having kids and finding that steady job, but the there is that lure of just going out there and you're still in your twenties and traveling all over and finding that adventure and doing all the crazy things. Mm -hmm. And we kept having this conversation over and over again about wondering if those things were mutually exclusive and if you had to choose one or the other and how do you possibly make that choice and how do you prioritize those things in your life? And was now the time to kind of uh, focus on one and give up the other or, um, and it's still something we, we, work through. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's, it looks a little different now. Um, you know, now, now that we're a little older, but you know, it's, it's the same idea is there. And we started talking about it to other people that we knew and everybody was hitting this same conversation of like, how do you decide? How do you know it's time to either like throw caution to the wind and get out, you know, just get out or, you know, maybe now's the time to like really invest in what you're doing. And that's the best plan of attack, you know, to, to get where you want to get in the world. And, um, and it was weird because the, the maps, what we were finding is like the maps kind of started as like a cool side historic, like this would be a fun thing to etch. You know what I mean? Like we should try this. And when we started making them, we found to our unbelievable delight that what people were doing is they were giving them as gifts to each other, um, either to like remind them of home or to, um, like, like if people had traveled, they were they were giving them as gifts to, as a reminder of home, or people were taking them as you know on like tr- for travel journals or things like that. And it was it was hitting yeah. this weird balance of of kind of playing with both of those ideas to a point where people were really having kind of a visceral reaction to them because there's something that is so you know when you see that familiar shape, even if it's a shape that's changed because we use maps that are you know early 1900s usually. So even if there's not every familiarity, if there's that general shape, it is shocking how quickly people respond to that. You know, our, like our Milwaukee Journal and our Chicago Journal both have Lake Michigan shorelines on them. Yeah. And that's a really um, powerful image for me personally, and I know it is for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so, so that type of reaction was something that we never could have predicted, but continues to happen the more cities we explore, yeah. which is just incredible. No, I'm just I'm just realizing because I'm from Michigan and the, we all do this with our hands. And yes. Point, exactly. And the fact that I carry this map of Michigan on my body is just occurring to me. Right. <laughs> and like everything Absolutely. is not there, but the outline is, and that makes me feel right, good. You know? Right. 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 Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think I knew you were from Michigan. Where in Michigan? Yeah, Clarkston. It's like in between Pontiac and Flint, like an hour north of Detroit. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Out in the woods. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so when you guys start to transition to like really having your business be your full-time job, Mm -hmm. um, or along, along the path to that, what kind of tools did you use to figure out the, the business side of this creative work that you were doing? Like how to set it up (laughs) and the taxes and like, who did, who did you ask? What books did you read? What did you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because, um, a lot of the time people will say to me, like, it seems like you guys have just had success from the start. And I said, well, okay, we've been incredibly blessed. We've been, we've been so lucky in our, in, in how our story is going and how our path is unfolding. Um, um, and that's due in part to a mess of people, um, involved, um, and a, a huge support system. Um, it's also the first time I ever got panic attacks was when we decided to do it full time, really? yeah. um, because there is so much at stake. And, uh, you know, by the time we decided to do it full time, we had just bought our house and, you know what I mean? Decided to put down those roots and, um, stressful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we had kind of been, um, reading, I mean, just like reading some articles online, you know, when things were like, not Mm -hmm. as, um, not as stressful and intense, we had, you know, done some, um, some looking around, just kind of some self-taught stuff, um, 
but there were a couple of people that really did make a huge difference. One of them actually is Emily Fisher, who yes. owns Haptic Lab, yes. who um, I had met a few times because she went to Evansville when my older brother Bill was there. And I certainly knew that we got along, but you know, we, it's not like we were close or anything like that. And I remember one time um, I got the, we got this uh, wholesale request from this ridiculously large company that like didn't quite understand what it was that we were or what we were selling. And it was the kind of thing that I knew that nothing was going to come of it, but like I had to take it seriously, obviously. And I had no idea what to do. They were asking <laughs> me questions that I did not know what they were referencing. I mean, very basic questions about like our wholesale prices. And I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, um, and so very graciously, I sent Emily an email out of the blue and I said, you know, I, I would really appreciate some advice here. Um, you know, anything you can tell me would be so helpful. And 20 minutes later, she said, she emailed me back and she said, I'm going to call you. Are you free right now? And which was just the most generous thing. And yeah. she's continued to do it. Like every time so she's, she's watched our business grow and, you know, but she's been an integral part of it because she's been so, um, free and open with the things that she's learned. Um, and she gives advice when asked, but she also is like so supportive in a way that she trusts that will make good calls. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know. So she's been an incredible, incredibly valuable asset to yeah, us. Um, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of it is kind of guesswork, honestly, <laughs> like seeing what works and what doesn't. It was an incredibly, it was incredibly helpful when we got an accountant who could give us some clear answers about like, you should be businessing this way. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's lovely. That's, good. That makes sense. <laughs> that's very clear. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and we continue to meet like the, the more we grow, um, especially in the last year, you know, we've really in the last year shif shifted over to much more, um, wholesale accounts, which means that we're selling to other stores that are selling our stuff as opposed to selling. We do still do direct sales, but not, um, it's not our main focus anymore. Um, and in the last year we've really put ourselves out there. We've gotten to do a huge amount of travel. Um, we've done two coast to coast trips in the last year. And, um, the people that we've met have been remarkable. And, um, I think that's unusual. I think a lot of, a lot of this type of work, there feels like there's a ton of competition, which I think really translates well to the theater world also. <laughs> like there's just that huge amount of competition, you know, that it feels like it feels like it can be really underhanded and you really have to be always looking over your shoulder. And obviously that's a part of it. Like you do, I mean, you do, you have to protect what you, what's yours and right. you have to be smart about it, but we keep expecting to run into this crowd. That's going to be really judgmental of what we're doing or look down on us for being young or being new or, you know, any of those things. And in fact, we have found almost in every case, the exact opposite of, community that is actually really excited about what we're doing, but also just really like unbelievably supportive and open and, um, ready to really like, ready to offer advice and, um, share what they've learned. And, you know, obviously not in every case, but right. much more than we've expected, which has been lucky. <laughs> yeah. That's really fantastic. And it's great. That, it's great that you guys have gotten to travel from this. Cause that kind of goes yes, into what you were exactly. talking about before about right. the roots and the traveling. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, and this is the really fun thing too, is that, you know, when we started the business, you know, a lot of it came out of this idea of like, we got into theater to do, to make, make a difference. And then, and then we weren't making that difference. So what can we be doing? That's not just selling leather goods because people like leather goods. Cause you know, what good is that really in the end? Mm -hmm. Um, and we met so early on when I was looking for a part-time job, I emailed out of the blue, a few companies that were small, that are small around town just to see if they had anything available, you know, if I could work as a receptionist or anything like that. And one of them was this, um, furniture company called La Loon that, um, that does this really beautiful log furniture that is sold all over the world. Um, like their stuff I think has outfitted, I think they, I remember them telling us that it was like, out, like Ralph Lauren's weekend home is totally <laughs> La Loon furniture, but it's based here in Milwaukee uh -huh. and they've been in business for, I think 35 years. And, and, uh, I got an email back from the owner who, uh, whose name is Mario. And he said, um, 
he said, you know, I don't have any um, work available right now, but do you want to just come see the space? Like if you're, if you are a person that makes things, you might be interested in coming to see our factory here in Milwaukee. And I was like, yes, absolutely. It's this, it's in this neighborhood. You would never guess it. Like it's mostly a residential neighborhood. Um, it's not a wealthy neighborhood. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff happening there, but it was shocking that they were there. Like it just was surprising. Um, and it has a history of being uh a neighborhood with a lot of crime, especially, I mean, especially several years ago. Um, uh, and so he was showing us around, I brought Anna with me because, because she also was excited to see the things. Um, and, um, so we were walking around and there may be a, I don't know if I had to guess, maybe a 30 or 40 person factory that builds this furniture. And one of the things that was so invigorating about the conversation that I had with Mario was that he bought the he bought the building when the when the neighborhood really was not in good shape. There was a ton of gang violence, and uh, it was just it was not a it was not a great area, to, especially to build a business. Um, and through like really careful, structured um, plans, he basically used he created such a community where he was that he. Um, like befriended all of these gang members, took some of them under his wing, got some of them jobs. And like, it turned into this really incredible community involvement type thing hmm. that, that through this furniture business that makes log furniture, he, he's like, he has actively participated and helped to improve the community around him. Um, not, not by fundamentally changing it, but by, giving people opportunities when they needed opportunities because he found himself in a place to do that. And it was the most reassuring conversation maybe to date that I've had actually about the business of that. You can do those things at the same time that you can, you can build something beautiful because you like to, and because you feel passionately about it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you, that it, it can't have an effect on your actual community if that's what you want to do. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out how those two things work together and how um, to make it a priority. And um, so one of the things that since since our business grew a bit in the last year, one of the really cool things is that like in November, we were able to say, okay, we've been talking about making this shift for a long time of how can we start to make it make an effect. And, you know, it was something that couldn't happen right away because we had to get our feet under us a little bit. But so in, in November, we launched our national park line. And one of the main purposes of that line is that 25% of the uh, profits we make, and not, not of the profits even, 25% of the sales uh, go straight to the National Park Foundation. And that's like the first step in, um, you know, how can we kind of start to implement these things that we really believe in yeah. um, and, and make them a part of our, you know, business that just sells other goods. You know what yeah. I mean? How can we make it mean something more um, than just, you know, a pretty travel mug or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you guys got your own studio we in did. September, you said. Um, yes. And you have some other employees now too, right? It's not just the we two of you anymore? Yeah, so we have um, we have an assistant who comes in uh, once a week for mm-hmm. a day, and we have um, an intern that comes in right now. She'll be done okay. in a few weeks, actually. But um, our assistant, I think, is going to start coming on a couple days a week in uh, next month. So you two, it's, you um, still do the bulk of it yourselves, then? Yeah, yeah, That's absolutely. Great. It's still, I mean, it's still definitely mostly a, a two woman operation. <laughs> yeah, cause I was I was curious to ask about what that felt like to hire other people or how how you were kind of navigating. Um, yeah being a leader in that way to people yeah absolutely so I mean that's um you know we're we're when you asked me earlier about the dark places that Mm -hmm. is something that I had to work through again when we started talking about bringing other people on because um I I get really excited by the idea of having more employees but it um really brings to light every insecurity that I have Um, because not only suddenly am I in charge of teaching and leading, but also it is hard to give up those responsibilities when you've built a thing. Um, and, and so trusting other people to really do 
that work. Yeah, <laughs> even though you know it's really... going to save you mental space in another exactly. way, it's hard. Exactly. And yeah. it turns out, with in the case of the people that we've brought on, are they are better at doing some of the things <laughs> than, than, you know what I mean? Like, I've been doing some of the things for six years, and they're still better at, at doing them. Um after a couple practices, you know, right, which right. is, which is exactly the kind of employee you would want to hire. Of course. <laughs> but is a bit, when that happens, it is a bit of, um, you have to take a moment to remind yourself that that doesn't mean that you are worthless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, because it's easy to think that, you know what I mean? Of like, oh my gosh, well, if I just hired this person out of the blue, they're already at the level that I've been at. You know what I mean? Like, how right. does that, what does that reflect on me? You know what I mean? Like, what does that, Even how does you that know make that me? you know eventually it's going to allow you to do so much more. Absolutely. Your time. Absolutely. And so, but it's a, it is, it's been an interesting challenge. And, um, yeah. I mean, I think luckily it's something that I was much more afraid of happening than actually happened. Um, because in fact it has, it has made things much easier. Um, and I think it will continue to, you know what I mean? And it's, it has allowed us to actually focus on the things that, you know, that Anna and I want to focus on, um, instead of just on producing as much as we possibly can. Um, it's allowing us to refocus on some of the new products and some of the new designs and some of the new causes and things like that, which is so important, but it's that same thing of really second guessing yourself at every turn. Yeah, I totally understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I know you and Anna have known each other for so long now and you have this friendship and this working relationship that you've laid the groundwork for but how did how did your roles kind of evolve how did you end up piecing out the work between the two of you yeah um so one of the first things that we talked about that Anna and I talked about when we were really starting to take the business seriously was that one of our business pillars has to be honesty like at like no matter the cost um, and no matter how uncomfortable it gets and no matter how hard that is, um, it, it is not worth not being honest with each other, like yeah. both from a personal standpoint and if, you know, really going into business like this with somebody else is, I mean, it's basically a marriage. You know what I mean? Our finances are all worked up together. Mm-hmm. There's a friendship to, that needs to be cultivated and not just a business working relationship. Um, luckily, we knew we worked well together before because we had, you know, been in the same shop and things like that, but there was a lot at stake and, um, we talked about that pretty constantly. Um, so, you know, and and, uh, it's gotten a little easier over the years, but there are still some times where like, you know, one of us will see the other and be like, you're angry about something. You've been angry about something for days. And (laughs) like, you just have to call each other out on it because it's, it's true. You know what I mean? You forget that you're like, Oh yeah, no, I have to just yeah. It'll be so much better if I just tell you what the thing is. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so so some of the some of the way that, that delegating of kind of who's in charge of what has been part of that, like um, and it's not always been clear cut and easy. Um, I remember there was this one time. We, so a couple of years ago, we did a Kickstarter campaign to uh, get our laser, our first laser cutter. And um, I had this whole like social media plan for how I was going to roll out the campaign. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Anna and I were both reluctant to um, to really delegate anything to only one person or the other because we're so 50-50 in the business that that early on in the business, we were nervous to totally give over any one part of it to either person. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Um, I remember like I was looking through some social media stuff and Anna made a comment on behalf of the business as was totally her right to do. <laughs> um, and I got so angry because it didn't fit in my very clear plan of how I was going to roll out this campaign. Um, and it was one of the first times that right after that, she and I had a conversation where it was, I don't like, it's time for us to stop. Uh, we, we don't need to both, be so holding on to both of those things. Like maybe there are some things that we implicitly trust each other. So I'm going to just tell you that I trust you to do that and to ask me if you have questions, but you know, you do that. Um, so, so that's kind of how things started splitting themselves up. And because of that, you know, it started at a really small level where, you know, it's like she was kind of keeping a spreadsheet of some of our costs because she's really excellent at budgeting and I was kind of doing some of the social media. And as the business has grown, it turns out that, like, she's actually a pretty incredible, you know, 
business manager as well as being a remarkable artist. And it turns out that maybe I have a, an eye towards branding. And so, you know what I mean? Those types of things, like I can take on our marketing and our branding and, and she trusts me to do that. And I trust her to run the books and we, you know, obviously we're, it's just the two of us in the same room all of the time. So we're constantly talking about both right. of those things, <laughs> but, but it's, um, it really has, has worked out well kind of in how, how the pieces have fallen to figure those things out. Great. Um, I know you have your business there and you and Brandon bought a house there, but, um, what's your connection to Milwaukee now? Do you feel like what, what's the art scene there? What's it like for an entrepreneur? And do you think you're there for the long term at this point? Sure. Um, that question always freaks me out. (laughs) I'm excited to hear because a lot of the, a lot of the actors I talked to were kind of stuck in New York or LA or we feel that way. So it's right, exciting right. to me that you found another smaller city that you really love. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up only about an hour away from Milwaukee. I grew up in, the, in a Chicago suburb, um, uh, and uh, but surprisingly, came up to Milwaukee very little because if we were going to if we were going to go into the city, we would go to Chicago, not right. Milwaukee. Um, and I remember like coming to see a few concerts when I was in high school and things like that, and it was always really cool. But it was not until um, a good friend of mine uh, got a job actually at at the Milwaukee rep, um, as a stage manager that I started looking at it a little bit more closely. And that's actually when I found out also about the prop shop, which was, you know, specifically the thing. And, uh, and so I started coming up to visit a little bit more often. And then, um, there was a USITT in Milwaukee. And that was when I really, um, that's the, sorry, that's the technical theater, like symposium thing that happened. You saw my blank. (laughs) My eyes go blank for a second. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, right so like we did I had a design presentation I guess it's not just design is it it's all it's the whole college thing right I said theater design I think but so yeah I vaguely remember Chuck going to these things I would think right yeah exactly <laughs> um that's reasonable <laughs> um and so I really started looking at the and I went to, I came to see a couple of their shows and I mean at the time since since props was the thing and it turned out that actually the rep was the Milwaukee rep was the place to do that. Um, also because I love New York. I love New York. And actually the more I visit it, the more I I can start to envision myself living there. But especially at the time, I had no interest in living in New York. Mm. Um, I always really loved visiting and I was always relieved to go home at the end of the week, um, or however long I was there. And now that I get to go often because I have so much family that lives there and so many friends that live there, it's a little easier, you know, the, all of the, the fear of it comes out of it. You know what I mean? And you're, you just realize, Oh, it's just, it's just bigger. It's not, you know, yeah. not more frightening. It's just bigger. <laughs> um, you know, so, so that makes it a little bit more enticing, but, um, but Milwaukee has been really good to us. Um, Brandon's found a, a good community and he, he works at the at first stage, which is a children's theater. It's actually one of the top children's theaters in the country, though it keeps a pretty low profile. Mm. And so he's found a really incredible community there and um, there is a shockingly um, vivid arts community here in Milwaukee. And it's, it's small enough that, like we were talking before about the competition thing, it's small enough that people don't feel competitive with each other, or at least not outwardly, because we all feel like we need each other to support for that support as we are all trying to kind of make things work. Yeah, um, that's great. So it's, it's a really supportive arts community. Um, and I think for the size of the city, there's a, a shocking amount just going on. Um, there's, there's always things to do. The museums are spectacular. The arts, the music scene is wonderful. Um, there's a ton of theaters given the number of people that live here. Um, uh, and also, I mean, one of the huge benefits uh, about it um, from a business standpoint is that the our overhead is so low. You know what I mean? Our rent for our studio is dirt cheap. Um, and so it allowed us to take some risks that we wouldn't have been able to um, in a larger city uh, earlier on, I think. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have to have quite as many pieces in place before we took that leap and felt confident that, you know, if something were to go wrong, we could still recover from it because we didn't have to put that much in. Yeah, that's huge. Um yeah, so from that part, it was a, it was a massive boon to be to be starting in a smaller city. As far as if if I think we're here for the long haul, I mean, yeah, I think I think it depends on what day you ask me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I you know, 
I would, I think I could be really happy being in Milwaukee for a really, really, really long time. Um, I think the, the community is changing and evolving. There is so much work that needs to happen in Milwaukee. It is, there are a lot of flaws here. Um, it's one of the most segregated cities in the country. Um, and people talk about it kind of, but not nearly as much as they should be. Um, so in that sense also, it's, it's hard to leave from that standpoint because you can see the work that needs to be done. And if there's any possible thing that you could think that you could help with, it's hard to walk away from that. Um, and, and, um, luckily like the theater that Brandon works for is really involved in some of that work. And so it's really, you know, it's something that you become really invested in as one should. Um, so in that sense, it would be really hard to leave. Um, and it's really, it's really been wonderful that we've gotten to travel more and that, that, you know, allows you to feel like maybe you could stay a little longer if you, as long as you can also see what else is out there. But on the other hand, it also makes other places, you know, you get to see what else is out there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and see like, Oh, this, you know, this is a really cool new community or, yeah. um, you know, so I feel like, um, I used to, I mean, I'm still a real planner. I really like to have a set, set goals and, uh, um, I, I get, I like to think of myself as a really relaxed person, but I don't think that's actually true. I think <laughs> I get really irked if my plans don't work out or something shifts. Or, right. Um, and, and, uh, the last few years have really been a, a, um, a kind of a good test of that and a good reminder to make those plans and work towards them, but to stay flexible when they don't work because they're not going to work. Um, you like can't almost control everything. Yeah. not how you imagine they're yeah, going you can't to control everything. Yeah. And, and so to, you know, to have those goals in mind because, because you have to, and you want to, and you think, you know, exactly what it is that you want. And then as soon as a different opportunity comes up, being able to make that call of like, nope, that doesn't fit in the plan. I don't have room for that. Actually. I can't put my energy towards that. Or if something comes up and you think, oh, oh, this is, maybe this is the thing. Hmm. and opening you know staying open to those ideas or um allowing enough flexibility in those plans to kind of you know let there be some wiggle room let there be some movement not a ton because you know like i've really we've done well with making plans and and following through with them but but there has to be room for movement because sometimes you come across opportunities that you never ever ever expected in your wildest dreams and it turns out that as soon as you see those you realize that's the dream I didn't even know existed (laughs) until right this moment I'm not going to pass that up because it doesn't fit into you know the big plan (laughs) oh this conversation is getting me so excited Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay I don't want to keep you too long but there are a few other things that I wanted to ask you about happily um so we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I know your brothers are both performing artists. Yeah. Like, what are your, what did your parents do? <laughs> How do they feel about all their kids being artists? This is a, a fine I'm question. I'm so curious. Um, <laughs> we get that question a lot. People always assume that our parents are in theater. And um, my mom did some theater in high school, but that is mm-hmm. the extent of their theater background. Um, we, we, I mean we do come from a really creative family. Um, and there are, we do have some aunts and uncles that are in the performing arts and some of our other cousins are, um, I had two aunts that were actresses and opera singers and uncle who's an actor. Um, but the way that it really kind of started with our generation, which I mean, is shocking because at this point I now have several cousins that are, that are actors and, or, you know, technicians or filmmakers or, you know, somehow related to that field. Um, uh, and I mean, for, for my brothers and me personally, it started when my oldest brother, Bill, um, decided out of the blue to try out for a production of Sweeney Todd in high school. Um, and, uh, I don't think he would mind me telling this part of it, but he was going through kind of, he was going through a rough, dark time. Like, our, mm-hmm. our, um, you know, as I think as a lot of us do in high school, but yeah. it, it, it was not hugely long after our parents divorced. Um, and so things were rough and I think it hit Bill in a way he was at an age that it was kind of a harder thing. Um, you know, I was, I was young enough that like, yeah, I mean, divorce is never easy, but I was young enough that 
I don't really remember, I don't really, I didn't, well, this sounds really horrible, but it's true. I didn't really remember when it was good. So in fact, when it was done, it was better. Um, and for Bill, you know, he really remembered a lot of really happy years. And so Mm -hmm. I think the transition was much harder. And so, um, so out of the blue, anyway, that went dark. <laughs> that is part of this podcast, so we're so, it's all on topic. It's all on topic. Oh, right, right. Um, so out of the blue, he decided with a friend of his to try out for this show, and um, I mean, we had both done, you know, we had we had all three like done choir and stuff, you know, when we were younger, but um, it wasn't really a thing. And he was cast um, as Judge Turpin. And which was a bit surprising um, to everybody involved, but we were all very excited for him. And we went to go see as a family um, every performance of it, which was, you know, two weekends, because that is how my family does. Uh-huh. We feel like if somebody's doing a thing, we are involved Come out and in invested. Yes. And I mean, it, it actually really changed all sorts of things. It, um, mm. I think it gave Bill something to focus on. It gave... Tim and I were are, were both um, really influenced by by Bill as an older brother because he has the he has a he has a way about him that you just want to it's enticing <laughs> you know what I mean he's knowledgeable and he's smart and and mm-hmm. he's skilled um, and um, he's the big brother he's the big brother exactly <laughs> so so after that Tim and I really kind of followed in his footsteps it made a lot of sense um, and we found that we all really loved it and enjoyed it and it's kind of been a cool thing to watch how that evolved you know what I mean at first we all the three of us assumed that we all wanted to be actors you know in, in high school that was the plan is that all three of us were going to be actors and and um really Bill's the only one that kind of was accurate about that you know what I mean he really stuck that out and that's really he's a spectacular actor mm-hmm. um and um, Tim and I kind of have found our way in other things. Um, you know, Tim started taking dance classes when he was in high school and pursued that more in college and is now this unbelievable um, movement performing artist, dancer, actor. Is he still in Sleep No More? He is, is still in Sleep he... No More, yeah. I, need um, to go. I, I saw it yeah. right at the beginning of the run before he was in it. I should go back. Oh, you really should. Yeah, you should tell him that you're going and then go back because he plays like a thousand different roles at this point like so depending on the night um but he's certainly moved his way up from when he's from when he started there he was he was also positive he was never going to move to new york or he said he always said that because he was based in chicago and he said he always said that the only two things he would ever move to new york for were sleep no more and stomp and then sleep no more because he used to work for blue man group and so he's like he's also a percussionist i see and then Sleep No More started holding auditions, and he said, "Well, I guess I, I guess I should go see what that's about." Um, and and it's and it it's been out, amazing. Yeah. It's a it's an it's an incredible fit for him. Like it really, um, and it's it's I think the best work I've seen him do. I remember walking through it the first time I watched him, and like Tim's always been an excellent dancer. He's always been a movement based person. I mean, since he was tiny, mm-hmm. um, but the skill level that he developed over the last few years is really remarkable to watch. And so I remember there was this one time that I came across, like, you know, so you wander through all of Sleep No More. um, You just kind of come across performers. And I was wandering around, and I happened to walk into this very small room where he was about to do this huge solo. Like, I caught it out of the blue, which was very (laughs) lucky. And I remember just, I think I was there with maybe four other audience members, and I remember just like, this sounds so corny, but it's true. I just stood there and I wept because I had no <laughs> behind <idea>. your mask. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the creeper in the background, right? Just weeping in the back. I had no idea yeah. his skill level had gotten to that point. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and so to watch somebody that you love so dearly and that you're so close to, like suddenly have this other thing that you had no idea. Like I knew he was skilled, but it was really a step above yeah. where he had been before. And so um, anyway, so, so that's, you know, so he kind of found his way into that world. Um, and then, um, and then when I was in high school, I started also taking some fine art classes. Um, and it was actually my theater director or all of our, the three of us, our theater director, um, in high school who kind of connected the dots for me. Who's, you know, he said, you, you are really into this mask making thing, which was true. 
and he's like, you really love this fine art thing. Like, have you thought about something like, like props? He's like, I know it sounds weird. And a lot of what we do is just like take the thing from the closet and put it on stage, but there's actually a lot more involved. And so he was the, the first one that kind of got me looking at it. Um, and then um, from there, I remember seeing a few pieces of incredibly influential um, spectacle theater performances, specifically with Red Moon Theater in Chicago, which um, unfortunately is now defunct as of mm. last year, um, but were incredibly influential and who I got to intern with um, for a summer uh, in college. Um, but that was really kind of when I realized, like, oh, this, my love is really in this um, crafts crafts type work specifically at the time um and i think still if i were to ever to go back to it it would be really kind of with a focus on the spectacle theater side of it like the masks and the puppetry and yeah. um those kind of weird you know one-off projects that <laughs> are are harder to do that's so special <laughs> though that you guys um not only have this shared thing from childhood but now as adults have that as part of your relationship that you even if you're not doing the exact same thing you have an understanding for it and as an audience member or as a, um, a viewer can appreciate the other's artistry or like what you're going through as trying to piece together a life in the arts, you know, that's really, really yeah. Yeah, it is really cool. And it's, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's an incredible thing to be able to have those conversations of like, to be able to ask opinions of our work, of somebody that you trust so implicitly to, to not only be outrageously supportive, but to give you an honest answer and a, a knowledgeable, honest answer. Yeah. I mean, that's like the very most valuable thing that you could have. Um, and to be able to trust them to give you that honest answer gently <laughs> in a way that you can swallow. And, um, um, you know, but, but that kind of, um, again, I think it goes back to the whole honesty thing like that, you know, to, to be able to come at it from a, a point of view that is understanding and when you, you know, are able to talk about the rougher sides of it and the insecurities and the second guessing and, you know, how the hell do you pay your bills and, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like things like that is remarkably helpful to have a group, I, I mean, to have, fucking have your brothers that understand what that is so specifically. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's remarkable. It's um, remarkable. I'm going to do kind of three quick questions. I'm going to smush the first two together because I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, So one of the questions I always ask at the end is, uh, are there any concrete things that you reach for when you're having uh, an uninspired day or a dark time in your artistic life, like a book or a piece of music you listen to or something like that? And then kind of a side note of that question is, are there any resources specifically for like, female entrepreneurs or artists that you've um found that have helped you along the way with your oh business. yeah okay so those two, um, two things those two okay great um so um I have found that yes the things that I reach for most concretely are things that are not related to what it is that I am doing um if it's like if it's going to see a movie or if it's going out mostly if it's going outside that's yeah. usually the main thing yeah. I reach for um, is, is to get out um, outdoors yeah but some just something that is um that is sometimes it's going to art museums or things like that or I'm trying to think if there's really specific books that I look at I mean there sure there are but really going outside is the main thing that I reach for like that's a that's a huge thing for me um especially because there's something about um about reminding yourself that it's that you're small um in that whole scheme of the world is incredibly helpful um I have found you know what I mean just to put things into perspective again um so that I would say that and then as far as resources go um there are tons and a lot of them are city specific um so there are almost always um like women's organizations for female entrepreneurs um some other ones that have been really helpful are um grace bonnie who started a design blog called design sponge recently Mm -hmm. put out um a great book called in the company of women that is all about um about female entrepreneurs and 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 that whole perspective on it which is which is really wonderful and highly recommended yeah. Um, and then the last question is, have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend, I guess, for you, whether that's a performance you've seen locally or a movie or some other artists or artisans work that you want to 
recommend? Oh, gosh, these are really good questions. <laughs> um, um, I mean, okay, so some of the performance, so yes, um, <laughs> recently closed, so that's that's fine. <laughs> um, I recently saw um, a production at Looking Glass Theater in Chicago um, that was called Mr. and Mrs. Pennyworth that I think has closed at this point, okay. but I will say that um, that uh, everything I have seen at, at Looking Glass has is been hugely inspirational um and it's a type of fantastical storytelling that always like has a jab of truthfulness in it that you are never expecting um <laughs> so i think <laughs> i think things like that other artists work god there's a thousand of them um i don't know like or like a friends a friend who also makes things that you just think are amazing whatever you like yeah yeah um, I mean, again, I would say actually, um, Haptic Lab and Emily is a huge, a huge inspiration there for sure. Um, there are a few people that are local to Milwaukee that I would, um, happily throw their names out because they're doing remarkable work. Um, Janelle Grambling is one. She's a ceramicist and fiber artist that's here in town that in addition to being an unbelievable artist, um, who is married to an unbelievable woodworker, um, they're just like this ridiculous couple who are also have this unbelievable house that they renovated and are also raising four incredible kids at the same time. It's mind-boggling. But her work is really spectacular and she's constantly pushing herself to, to try new things and to um, experiment with new um, formats. And um, she's, she's somebody that actually is really inspirational to me because of the way that she, um, you know, I get really product based. Um, Like I do consider myself an artist, but I've always considered myself a craftsperson first, which translates then into a, a product. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that um, Janelle has a method of always like remembering kind of to go back to that art side of it, mm. um, which is something that's really helpful for me to remember. Um, so yeah, I would definitely take a look at Janelle Gramling and her husband, Matthew Gramling, are two spectacular artists um, that I highly recommend. Same. Yeah. yeah, thank you so and then, much. Um, and then oh, also, oh, I'll say quickly one. again, I know Fantastic. I mentioned her earlier, um, but uh, our studio mate, um, Jess Gaynor of, of Directive, she's another leather worker um, okay. that is right now in this really cool period of exploring all of these new things that she's trying and new materials. And she does some painting on canvas and stuff too. And her work is beautiful. I... And she's a, like a stellar human being. <laughs> which, you know, you can always support that. <laughs> well, can you tell everybody where to find your things? Yes, absolutely. So um, everything that we do is on our website, which is just tactilecraftworks.com. We also uh, are really active, as I have mentioned, I feel like several times at this point. Um, We're (laughs) mostly active on Instagram, though. You can find us on all the social medias, and it's all just under Tactile Craftworks. Um, and we'll and all know that, to find, we'll all know that you're, you're the genius behind the social media while yeah, we're looking right? at it. Oh God, don't judge me too hard. <laughs> um, and I mean, you know, also we, now that we have a studio, we always welcome visitors. So if oh, yeah. anybody were to find themselves in Milwaukee, come, oh, come see us, fantastic. come visit us and our dog. <laughs> uh, well, Sarah, thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm thank so you. Happy. It's been such a pleasure. So Thanks happy. for asking me to do it. to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook and itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick Choksi, and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 